In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. At the start of the new year, Dr. Robert Malone was a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. During the conversation, he shared the phenomenon of mass formation psychosis as an explanation for the cancel culture around the pandemic and abandoning the scientific process. We have to break this down and dissect the topic because it is that important. If this is true, we have a lot of work to do in our society. We have to come together. On today's podcast, we discuss mass formation psychosis. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. Good morning. I'm back, guys. Yay! Yay. Hey, you look Recovered. good. Thank you. Yeah, I, f- I feel fantastic. Nice. Um, I listened to the podcast. You guys were talking about me. It's always nice to hear my voice, even when I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, we said really positive things about you. You know what, Kelly? You did say some I good did. things I was, about me. I know. Let me share a story. <laughs> Before we jump into this topic, because I do want to jump into it quickly because I'm excited about today's topic. I was, remember we were doing the, um, we were talking about resilience Mm -hmm. and like how a father's working and a lot of times he's working on a laptop, he's not coming home exhausted and your children aren't observing you in a certain way. I work from home. So I'll sit in my corner, I have my laptop open looking at spreadsheets and I want my son to see like when daddy's sitting over there, he's at work, leave him alone. But every once in a while he wants to come over spend some time with me and he likes to just kind of sit by my ankles and I really think he just wants to reach up and drink out of the big boy glass you know but it's it's important for him to see me working and um and I multitask so on this particular day I was had some spreadsheets open working on some things also listening to the podcast and and during that moment I heard Kelly say you know who's a good father Mm -hmm. Sean's a good father yeah and I sat there and I kind of paused hit pause on the podcast looked down at my son and was like you know what so I like grabbed the glass out of his hands and put both my hands on the side of his face. I looked him right in the eyes and I said, that's daddy's whiskey. Put it down. <laughs> <laughs> and I picked him up and I put him in his player. He cried for 10 minutes, but he knows you don't drink the brown stuff. So I am it's, a good dad. It was I 11 a.m. It. It. <laughs> it, it. it was a Tuesday. Booze day Tuesday. I just wanted our audience to know how good of a father you were. And now Thank they you. know. Thank yes. you. I am a good father. Of course. Um, today's topic, I want to jump right into this because it is definitely in the zeitgeist. So, um, start of the new year, all of a sudden this term was being thrown around. I pulled up a Google trends chart. And if you're not familiar with Google trends, you can type in any phrase you want and you can see search activity. And I shared the image with you both. And on January 2nd, all of a sudden there's this huge spike, the most that the term has ever been searched before in uh, all of Google's tracking for uh, search activity. And they do it in terms of like indices. So you can't see the actual volume of search information. But January 2nd, something happened. And I want to jump into this. Roger, what happened right around January 2nd? Well, this was following the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Dr. Malone. Mm -hmm. And this idea, this concept of 
mass formation psychosis as it relates to how our society is developing post-COVID. Right. And so this spikes a lot of interest for us on this podcast, given some of our previous topics, especially around extremes in thinking, biases, uh, social fear conditioning, and mm -hmm. the COVID response, as well as you know our strong ideas and beliefs around medical establishment, uh, research, the limitation of information provided to the individual, how important the individual's rights are in being able to determine safety, efficacy, medical decisions, ideas, beliefs. And it's something that's been of great interest to this center here, as well as our podcast. We'll play a little clip here because we see the negative consequences to people when they're not provided full information. Basically, European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you. I and I alone, okay, can fix this problem for you, okay. Then they will lead, they will follow that person. Through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to them or whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. They are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, and then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens. And that is what's happened here. All right, I'll stop it there. So um, that basically made people want to investigate this. And I, in preparation, wanted to find some podcasts, listen, and educate myself. I struggled to find something that did a very good job explaining it. Ultimately, I, I did stumble upon some stuff. And I'm hoping that this podcast does a really great job breaking down those things that, um, that were discussed on the Joe Rogan podcast in a way that we can all kind of comprehend a little bit further. So I don't know how we want to go about this, but you want to go back? Well, it's fascinating um, because obviously being a psychologist, you have this idea of delusions. And throughout history, this idea of like mass hysteria or mass delusions. So it's not a new concept. It's something that's been in academia for what amounts to probably over a century, you know, at least. And so before this Joe Rogan podcast came out, um, I was doing some research into mass formation psychosis in preparation for a previous podcast that we were going to develop. Mm -hmm. So it was, there was information that was readily available at that particular time. And what I mean by that is quick Google searches. Mm -hmm. But after this podcast came out, 
what you started to see on Twitter and what you started to see on Google was experts dispute the idea that there's such a thing as mass formation psychosis. I did find a lot of that. And it became so much more difficult to access the information that I was trying to find before. Mm -hmm. One area that I do go to is, is Google Scholar. Google Scholar is a way to kind of get into some of that, you know, academic literature. And then you're, a, you're more able to kind of quickly access information dating back even to the 1940s or to the 1930s. But all of a sudden, that quick accessible information that people generally get, and I don't know what the percentage of the population is, but most people aren't going past a few Google searches, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's page one, maybe page two. Yep. And I'll say this could just be a product of the, the algorithm because it was in the zeitgeist. Lots of news stories were coming out about it. And then, of course, there are people disputing it. So when you looked at that first page, I kept on seeing dates of 2022. And I wasn't looking for 2022 because I knew why those stories would be there. I was looking at historical examples of mass formation uh, psychosis so that I would understand whether or not if it was relevant to what was happening today. Yeah. And it, it, what, what I was amazed at was how quickly it was attacked. Look, I'm all about skepticism. I am. I mean, I think it's a good thing when, when new ideas come out, we are skeptical, but this was an overload of skepticism and purposeful. And when you actually then went to search in Google for mass formation psychosis, literally three or four days after the Rogan show, it was propaganda mm. against this idea. It was attacking academics and scholars and anyone that brought this idea up. And that's what I was scared about. Which is scary because it's always like, who is doing this, right? Like, how is it, you know, this well formed um, and constructed to be able to um, attack those ideas so quickly? It almost, you know, your mind goes to these, what we used to call conspiracy theories, but obviously it's not that much of a conspiracy theory conspiracy theory now when we talk about the role of of either government or big business or and and big tech and how they're aligned with one specific narrative but let's go let's define psychosis for one um, a lot of people don't really understand what psychosis is and generally we're talking about a disconnection from reality that can be a delusion which is a belief or an idea and that's something that's really important for me to get into in this podcast today is to talk about the the power of ideas, thoughts, beliefs, but also hallucinations are uh, an, another form of psychosis, which is you're hearing things or seeing things that do not exist. So some definitions of mass formation psychosis, or another way just to think about it is the idea of collective delusions, because they fall, have traditionally fallen in this domain of like sociologists working in this kind of subspecialty, as well as like psychiatry, psychology, social psychology. And collective delusions are spontaneous, rapid spread of false or exaggerated beliefs within a population at large. And it at least temporarily affects a particular region, a culture, or a country. Um, another way to look at this is mass hysteria. And that's where, you know, the role of intense fear uh, has generated in, in some like response, behavior, or even symptom. And that has no other real cause other than really the development of fear and how it impacts the individual and the group on being disconnected from reality. So when we talk about mass formation psychosis today and we look at beliefs, the beliefs cannot are not grounded in any evidence. They may not make any sense at all, 
people believe them. And so we can kind of generalize this conversation to many areas about any type of belief or idea that is not grounded in any evidence at all, but people rigidly adhere to it and then it impacts behavior. So let's, let's go through this whole process. And the, the thing that I get out of it and what you just said, people unify, unify around a particular variable. Let's start with the, the, how do people, if we're talking about mass formation, um, it's just basically a gathering. It's, it's a bunch of people getting to kind of getting together. So let's talk about a variable that occurred, go through the process. Um, what happened, uh, you know, a few years ago that now we're, we're, we're claiming that this exists. What was the particular thing that occurred a couple of years ago? Well, I think we're, we're going to start with just talking about a global pandemic, the Correct. spread of a virus. Right. And the spread of a virus that's novel and it's relatively unknown is going to, you know, at least allow for that, that initial foundation and spread of fear. And that free-floating anxiety and uncertainty is going to drive people to respond in a certain way. And one thing that's been interesting throughout this entire pandemic and almost two years now is you get to observe the variability in people's response to fear, how people respond differently, and then how that affects society. Can we break this down further? Because um, I struggled um, as I was listening to some explanations of this, of understanding exactly what was being talked about. So the words like free-floating anxiety, I was like, okay, what what does that mean? Um, What really kind of started this whole idea of applying mass formation psychosis to what we're happening right, what is right happening right now, uh, uh, and what um, came up on the Joe Rogan podcast came from uh, a professor mm-hmm. of clinical psychology, uh, Matthias Desmond, Ghent University in Belgium. He, uh, let's give him some, a little bit of a background to who he is. He has a degree in psychology, but he also has a master's degree in statistics, which I think is really important to understand. And early on during um, the pandemic, he recognized that the statistic modeling overestimated the mortality of the virus. And he was trying to figure out what was going on. And he, something in his gut was saying, like, something's not right. I need to investigate this further. And he was not alone in calling out the flaws of the modeling. Uh, The modeling came from, I believe it's the Imperial College, Uh, in London. And what he recognized was one one of the original forecasts was for 80,000 dead in Sweden if they did not go on a lockdown by the end of May of 2020. And he then, uh, months later, Sweden did not go down in a lockdown and only 6,000 people died. So he saw the flaws in the statistical modeling uh, that overestimated by a factor of 15. And then that's what really threw him into trying to understand why so many people were going along with these tactics based on false statistical modeling. And those statistical modeling, those predictions were so far off, right? That it automatically, you know, lends the question, was this purposeful, right? And let's, let's face it, we can't have this podcast without us beginning to discuss the possibility that this was a well-constructed response to this pandemic for some other purpose or reason. Mm-hmm. And I, and we can look throughout history to understand why something like this might be happening because in totalitarian governments, 
and um, the, u- the, the development of propaganda and the idea that using anxiety against people, fear against people, to rely upon a leader who can help you, keep you safe, is part of the playbook of any dictatorship or any totalitarian idea when it comes to power and control. And it's really that, that, like I said, using fear to get people to gather around one idea, one mm-hmm. one variable. So let, let's break that down because um, Matthias Desmet um, is a professor. He was actually teaching classes on mass formation, which then kind of led him to that aha moment of like, well, wait a minute, maybe this is a possible explanation as for what's going on right now. He identified four conditions that need to be met in order for mass formation to occur. And, um, and uh, Robert Malone touched on some of those in that clip that we just played. Can we break this down? Yeah, for ex- I, I don't think we introduced Robert Malone to our, our listening audience. For those who don't know, um, he is a physician, mm-hmm. and he was on the research team, one of the inventors of mRNA yep. technology. Yes, right. Which is which is being used as the technology for the current COVID nineteen vaccine. He's so also he, he's also the uh, the president of the International Alliance of Physicians and Scientists, sixteen thousand plus um, all over the world. Yeah, and um, and right now they're being shut down. They're being censored. They're being they're being demeaned just for doing what they've been doing for years just in the last two years, and now they're having their licenses stripped. His resume far outweighs any anybody else, even in our government, even Dr. Fauci. <laughs> well, that, it gets crazy. Well, He's, you see, even Dr. Fauci. Yeah. Dr. Fauci isn't a practicing no, exactly. physician, yeah. right? And all he is is a, is a longtime government bureaucrat, you know, yeah. and he's more about uh, publicity and propaganda. He's just behind the cameras, right? He doesn't have the level of expertise about a lot of these physicians Correct. who are and researchers who are being silenced right now. So that, that's concerning for us. Yeah. So let's go back to those four conditions and let's remove um, the current conversation about what's happening in the pandemic. Let's just look at the four conditions as they've applied to experiences in the past. So the condition number one, which we've already touched upon, is that something occurs or a variable is there and people form around this and gather. That's condition number one. So okay. that's COVID-19? Correct. All right, we're going to well, use let's, that. Let's, let's remove COVID-19. Oh, okay. let's, yeah, go, let's, let's use a the, different... The way that um, Desmet described it is a large amount of people experiencing a lack of social bonds or social connectedness. Right. So we could even say, um, well, let's look back at the uh, Salem witch trials. We can right? use that as an example. So does there have to be a phenomenon that we don't understand that has to be present? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and two, number one and number two... These they're kind of associated with one another, and and he said that's really important to recognize. A large amount of people experiencing a lack of meaning making, and those are his words, meaning that their mm. purpose in life, um, they're questioning is, is, why is, they're, is they're there. Yes. Yeah. So um, Salem witch trials, the um, the Puritans. Am I right? The Puritans came to the United States. They were had a lifestyle that was being. Um, uh, trying to remember my history class, uh, there was a lot of uh, British influence coming in and their way of life was being disrupted and there was a lot of strange things happening in their community um, that kind of like led down this path. Uh, so there was anxiety about losing their way of life. Yeah, I, th- I think it even gets more complicated than that because if you look back at to that time period, there's a lot of death and disease. People mm. die 
uh, without anybody knowing why. Yeah. And so you begin to attribute it to like demons. So that's the free floating anxiety. Yeah. Um, anxiety not connected to a mental representation. And uh, Desmond, uh, that's Mattias the third said, thing that, that's, that occurs. For example, if, um, if you see a lion and you are scared, you know what you are scared of. Right, right. But free floating anxiety is something that you, you don't know. And you yeah, can't control exactly. anxiety if you do not know exactly. What I'm at exists. risk, but I don't know what's going to, Correct. you know, it's going to harm me. Yes. Yeah. And then the fourth condition, lack of free floating frustration and aggression. You feel it inside yourself, but you can't direct it at a specific thing or cause. Boy, we love, we love to find the, uh, the reason for why we feel bad, right? And we want to like identify and even punish that person. As I was, um, as I was thinking about, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> you, you hit a cancel culture. I was thinking about airlines. Think about what happened a year after um, these lockdowns happened and people started taking airplane flights again. And they were just freaking the hell out. YouTube videos fighting. of people fighting, hitting people, calling people out for having their masks below yeah. their nose. Yeah. It's misdirected anger because... They just saw something they were frustrated with and they, they needed to apply it somewhere. They needed to get it out. Aggression. Yeah. Absolute aggression. I mean, there's the, control there though, right? So, um, we, you know, we touched on this on previous podcasts, how we are just really designed to try to survive, you know, mm-hmm. at a very biological, unconscious even uh, you know, way. And so when we feel that anxiety, we look to resolve it. It's almost like our body is saying, there's something, you know, dangerous. You need to watch out. And we do everything we can to try to control it. And so we are at risk of being able to identify a person or a group of people as the enemy who could harm us. And this is what leaders in society and government have done throughout the ages. They've been able to use that tribalism Mm -hmm. in order to like create an enemy and lead people up against the enemy in order to protect themselves. And that's the thing that scares me is the bonding of these people who get to this point, the formation of this kind of angry mob, and they're no longer skeptical at all about the leaders that are, are, are perpetuating this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he said um, like a new solidarity emerges, Yeah, which to me, it's, uh, you know, when you think about Germany um, and how that, that happens. Yeah. Um, that solidarity, it, 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 it's almost like this, um, this scary term, solidarity, all, all of a sudden becomes something very scary. Have you guys ever heard of a book called Ordinary Men? Did yeah, you? of course. So um, that's the, uh, it's about the Reserve Police Battalion, um, and they were responsible for mass shootings and roundups of Jewish uh, people and deportation of Nazi death camps in 1942. It basically argues that um, these individuals were not fanatical to begin with at all. They were just ordinary young individuals. They, they were they were middle class yes. men. Yeah, of uh, many of them who had a very strong moral and re- religious foundation. And they were. And what's also important to know is like, they were drafted, so they didn't volunteer right. to for these positions where they were going to you know police and then exterminate the the Jewish race. They were they were just drafted. And the the assertion of the entire um, book, which it, it interviews these individuals, is that they um, they did these atrocities through group dynamics and conformity. 
um, deference to authority, role adaptation, mm. altering moral norms just to justify their actions. Um, so yeah, I, I, example this, of a mass delusion, sure. right? The belief that a, a like social, a racial or ethnic group, you know, is is harmful to your existence. And that's why I don't understand how people, as soon as they start questioning, oh, well, that can't exist. It's like, well, just look back in history. This has existed forever. This is the way that you control a population. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think we're, we're ignorant of history in a, lo- in a lot of ways. Or dangerously naive. <laughs> I told you I'm changing that narrative. I'm, I'm hopelessly naive about a lot of things. Let's talk about examples of this in the past. Can we Can we jump into a few? Sure. Um, I, I jotted down a couple. I don't know much about them. Um, there are a few that I, I heard, and I don't know if they're properly applied to this. Some of them are, are more economic um, in, in terms of explanation. There was the tulip um, craze. I, I don't remember the year. It was probably like around the 1800s where tulips, the trade emerged um, in the in Europe, and tulip bulbs became like a commodity that people were, um, were were trading. And there was almost like this this surge of people seeing tulips as the new investment vehicle, uh, and the price of tulip bulbs went through the roof. And all of a sudden, then they they collapsed, and it was just like, well, what happened? And and economists often use try to explain like what possibly could happen. I think that was more like bubble formation, mm-hmm. but I've heard mass uh, delusions applied to that. The dancing mania came up. What is that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And anybody who was interested, Google this and you can read about it. We've touched on the the Salem witch trials, but the one that I'm more familiar with, um, someone applied War of the Worlds radio broadcast um, as an example. And and what I'm recognizing here is that when it comes to mass dilution, sometimes these can be short periods that maybe occur for maybe a week Mm. or shorter or over a long period of time which might be harder to break away from. Um, and I think it's those ones that occur over a period of years that you can easily fall into that delusion and it becomes a little more ingrained in you. And maybe there's a, something that happens in your personality where you start to switch even more. Um, you start to believe those things more concretely within you. Um, Want to touch on any of those? Do you want to? I got another example that's recent. Most people don't know. This is prior to social media. It's 1988, and it was in in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it involved that. Um, it's this idea that like mass hysteria can can be developed. Uh, 1988 uh, elementary school near uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, it involved the relabeling of like mundane symptoms that were in, uh, instigated and maintained by erroneous beliefs among these hypervigilant parents. So the episode began during a routine social gathering of parents and students at the school cafeteria in early September. A student's mother commented that ever since the term began, her child had experienced numerous minor health problems and looked pale. Other Mothers at the meeting noted similar signs and symptoms in their children since the beginning of the school term. Dark circles under their eyes, they were pale, headaches, fatigue, nausea, and occasional vomiting. They soon suspected that something in the school building was to blame. Uh, A view confirmed on October 11th when the school was evacuated after a minor natural gas leak uh, occurred during a routine maintenance. That gas leak didn't have any impact on anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and that happens every once in a while, even in your home, it could potentially happen. Um, when the gas leak, uh, 
you know, occurred, concerned parents picketed the school and appealed to the local media, which then began to highlight their fears. Um, after a negative environmental and uh, epidemiological studies concluded that there was like nothing going on, um, mothers had almost exclusively redefi- redefined common and ever-present childhood illnesses that occur. Um, while the children in question neither sought attention nor were overly concerned with their symptoms, there was a real high attendance level and parents just attributed that like these normal conditions of sleep or getting a virus or things that normally happen in kids was attributed to that, to that building. So like this mass hysteria mm-hmm. developed and, and some parents were really concerned that their, their kids were really, really ill. Um, send me the link to that. I'll include it in, in the show summary. I think I, I read something about that too. Um, there was something I stumbled upon. I want to bring it up. It's called the nocebo effect. Nocebo. Okay. You're familiar with this, Roger. I'd never heard of it before. It's basically the the opposite of placebo. Um, and th- there was an example that was used to represent this. It was just one individual. A man was involved in a clinical study taking an experimental drug. And what he tried to do was kill himself. He swallowed 29 capsules of the drug, drug believing he would not survive. However, the capsules he was taking were placebos. As he was a member of the control group in the clinical study, believing that he was going to die, he developed serious symptoms and arrived at the hospital with extremely low blood pressure. When finally the doctor directing the medical trial arrived, the doctor told the patient he had swallowed placebos. As a consequence, the man recovered within 15 minutes. So let's not underestimate the power of our brains to do things to us. Yeah, That to me is like, uh, that blew my mind how that can happen. And that... That seems to be what was happening in that example of the of the school, where there's almost like you believe something so intently that you start having these symptoms or you start seeing things that that may not be. Well, there. that's I mean, coming back to today, that's people are if they even have um, shortness of breath or they I don't know they sneeze once, they they think they have. You know, it's COVID-19 and they can't leave I'm, their home. I'm guilty of that. Right. Like, I walking mean, through the grocery store with my wife and she starts sneezing or coughing. I'm like, hey, knock it off. I just can't believe that people think, oh, well, that's the only thing that exists now as a as a virus or in our entire world. Yeah. I think we underestimate the power of fear and, mm-hmm. and how it affects us at almost every level, probably levels we don't even know with our with our cells and, and its formation of like defenses. Like fear is really, really powerful. But if we go back to this idea that beliefs have a powerful influence in how we actually um, behave. We have to go back to periods of like Nazi Germany and, uh, you know, fascism in in Italy. There was a psychiatrist at that time. Uh, His name was uh, Silvano Arietti. And he said, if he controls your ideas, he will soon control your actions because every action is preceded by an idea. Right. So beliefs are so important and there are beliefs that exist right now that aren't true, right? That there's no evidence. And we touched on this on a previous podcast and it's about splitting the groups into the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, Mm -hmm. right? Or using words like anti-vax and how it's uh, now it's kind of transitioned into a, a, a more palpable like version of that vaccine hesitancy, right? And it's this idea that there's actually a vaccination. Right? And I, and Kelly, you know, you're 
really into rhetoric and the and the role of of language. Have we ever really defined what a vaccine is? So without I'm going to read a definition that's just on Wikipedia. But if I had to ask you what a vaccine is, what it has been ingrained in your mind to define it, how would you define it, Sean? You start. Uh, something that a, a, a injection you would take to uh, fight off a virus uh, with the ultimate goal to eradicate it. See, my, my definition is it, it's something that eradicates and gets rid of and prevents you from ever getting it. But that would have been... That, that's my definition and that's what I was told, you know. That would have been close to 100% of the population before this, that a vaccine prevents you getting the virus, right? Because it you develop an immune response to it that doesn't allow you to get sick. I got a question. Yeah. Immunization, vaccine, synonymous. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or inoculation, mm-hmm. right? Those were words that were used concurrently over a century. But right? we, we know that the, the normal flu vaccine that some people choose to get every year. You? I... I didn't get it for 15 years and I got it this year. I'm going to say there is no and such thing as a flu vaccine. Because it, it doesn't, it's not effective. <laughs> it's like 30 or 40%. Well, here, here we go. He called it the, the flu vaccine. Is it a vaccine if it doesn't <laughs> prevent you from um, developing the disease? If you call it a vaccine, it's a vaccine. Right. Well, that's the use of language. Yes, right? Everyone yes. will globally believe it's just the idea you're not getting vaccinated means you're not protecting yourself a vaccine is a biological preparation that provides active acquired immunity to a particular infectious disease it can typically in in, uh contains an agent that resembles a disease causing microorganism and is often made from weakened or killed forms of the microbe its toxins or its surface proteins. And what this does is this agent stimulates your body's natural immune reaction to this. So it recognizes the next time it's a threat and it destroys it, right? So this idea that a vaccine is implanted in our minds that if you get it, it fights off the condition, right? So just generally speaking, well, you would be an idiot not to get a vaccine. We have this technology, you have a vaccine, it fights off the virus, and that would be accepting some truths. It would accept that one, it actually does provide that response, and two, there's no adverse effects. There's no negative consequence or potential health response for doing it. Now we get into delusions, right? Now we get into mass delusions because we know now as a scientific fact that this vaccine does not prevent. Okay, but let's let's use me as an example, can we? So I chose to get uh, the shot back in, I think it was May. At the time, what was being communicated? It was that it would. It was you will not get it, and you will not pass it on. 90, that was the message. Ninety-five percent effective. Were you lied to? You would not catch it. You would not infect others. Your president of the United States was on and demanding not only people get it, but said you will not pass this he on. He also you declared the United States free of COVID in on July fourth. Yes. So, um, you know, Rod, you touched on whether or not things were orchestrated or whether or not our government was taken advantage of, I think our government is not as smart as as you think they are. I, I think the pharmaceutical industry treated our government like a customer. I think this like is anything. intense. And this was a sales pitch that they sold them on a false no, uh, I, data model showing the effectiveness. And I'm going to disagree with Kelly, you. Does, I'm going to disagree Kelly, with you. Kelly, does this... 
I hate to keep doing this to Sean, but does this go into the category of dangerously naive? Yes. <laughs> yeah, because you're trying to still defend a government entity without actually questioning and being skeptical on whether or not this was intent. Maybe. Yeah, this, I believe it's intentional. Th this is Sean's vulnerability. And oh my God, do the themes just present themselves on every single category. There's a reason why people want I to stay in government for 40, 50, 60 years <laughs> and they want their family's name in it. Oh, like, that's true. period. So I I was talking to you guys about the book, The Psychopath Next Door. Correct. Right. And The Psychopath Next Door is an incredible um, compilation of what makes somebody uh, psychopathic. And we're not going to get into this is a future podcast. But the belief is about 4% of the population you know, would meet criteria for psychopathy. That means one person in your practice may be a psychopath. There's probably more than one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, generally that those people would not but be like, in this kind of sector. Yeah. But, but that's one out of 25 people. And so that means there's a lack of consciousness uh, and empathy for our fellow human beings. And, to, and, they, and they actually have an advantage in society. A psychopath has an advantage in society because they're willing to break rules and do things for power and control that the regular population's conscious would not allow them to do. And the idea and the belief is that if one has greater intelligence and is in that kind of psychopathic realm and has a real desire for power and even attention, you're going to be filtered into certain careers. And one of them is, is politics. Others are CEOs. We talked about that. Yeah. And those, so this, they would be more prone to, be, to develop into these positions of great power and influence. And where Sean tends to have, a, have, have an issue is he doesn't really understand people well. He assigns positive intention to almost every act. Now, hold on. Now, hold which, on. Which, makes, <laughs> which makes him good at certain things, right? He's especially when when he's right right when the positive intention or act is pure or innocent then sean is going to get the best out of that individual on the other end of the extreme or the dialect is when he's wrong so okay i, I may be wrong I, I can accept that but i want to flip it on you i'm gonna say everything you're saying is probably accurate but instead of applying the psychopathy to people in government I'm going to apply it to someone who may work at, let's use the pharmaceutical industry as an example. And maybe that individual knows how to manipulate and take advantage of a system that's in place um, where we're governed by the people. Um, and someone who may have a, a positive intent or may be easily influenced, who is now in a high-ranking position within our government, um, they're, I think they're really seen as a customer because if the pharmaceutical industry is driven by profit because they're traded on wall street, they're not really governed by the same ethical principles that maybe uh, you and I are. And many people in society, uh, they have, uh, they have a goal of and, and when the government wants to eradicate a problem and they want to throw billions of dollars to it and they quickly take action and put out some, phase one, phase two trials, and they show 95% efficacy, it's easy for someone in the government to say, well, let's do this. Let's make this happen. We're going to spend 
billions of dollars to get rid of this problem. Yeah, they're not of average. People in government are not of average intelligence. So there's a couple things that you're that you're missing here, Sean. And we are not really governed by the people, right? That's kind of an illusion in in our society. In order to be able to achieve a position of power in in government, it takes tremendous amount of financial resources. Whoever denies that our that our politicians are not bought and sold by another entity, something much greater or bigger than them, is naive on that fact, right? You, they, there's a lot of, especially you should know in your in in from marketing background, mm-hmm. they know that uh, that who the candidate is going to be before any of these primaries. They know it, and it's almost always associated with the amount of dollars because the amount of dollars are going to be then. Uh, going to contribute to the amount of advertising, the amount of advertising to shape our viewpoints is going to lead to a vote. You know, so like even when we do this podcast, we know the number of Twitter followers that I have, there's going to be a percentage of them that are going to listen to the podcast. As the Twitter followers grow, we're going to get more listeners. You know, things like that data is applied to uh, mass communication and ideas. And so you develop an idea of an individual. That person is bought and that person is sold. So that person is vulnerable. Okay. Now, if you look at our own CIA, our own, um, you know, government uh, spy agencies or those from other powerful nations, how do they influence the behavior of others in other countries? Like if you're going to be a spy and you're going to go into another country and you're going to try to f- flip somebody or whatever that word is, mm-hmm. turn uh, them, turn them, right? Basically, you're going to use fear against them. Correct. Right, Sean. Like the things they you're, go, you're going to find yep. something in their background, yeah. something that they did, something that they want no one to know about, yes. and you're going to use that against them. Yeah, yep. and it works all, all the time. All they, all for you, Sean. All you have to do is threaten your wife and your and your kid. Right, probably. Right. That that fear would would drive you to do anything to protect them. Yeah. Right. But if you're a sociopath, you don't even care about your own children, right. or your own your own wife. Like that lack of any emotion towards them. Mm. is something that is so uniquely distinct to a percentage of our of our population. Now a lot of people might listen to this and think we're crazy. These are scientific and historical facts. Mm-hmm. And these are things that go outside of our awareness and and our control. And unfortunately, this is what is going to be used against the mass population. I think we all consider ourselves here part of the masses, right? We don't have great power. We don't have great control. A lot of us come from blue collar working families. We're not wealthy, but we're, we care, right? And we're going to get on a microphone and we're going to talk about how people can be influenced. And that's part of it. Okay. So I want to turn this on you because let's go back to mass formation psychosis. Um, the idea of, of getting out of it. Um, Matthias Desmond said that and, and you're using this idea, this communication of uh, totalitarianism. Um, he said that idea right now is being, is being discussed. It's being thrown out there. And that should be scary because global totalitarianism um, is a bigger threat than the virus. But he cautions anyone to go down that path because this can be an easily substituted free-floating anxiety which can be replaced by another person to jump in and say that they're going to solve this problem which then in turn can lead us down the path of an even greater mass psychosis psychosis um 
And I want to go back to what Robert Malone said on the Joe Rogan podcast because he offered a solution. And remember, this is a man who's censored. He's being shut down. He's being quieted and discredited. And I'm going to quote him directly. He said, we are sick. Our society is broken. We have to heal ourselves. We have to come together. We have to recreate our social bonds. We have to buy into integrity, the importance of human dignity, and the importance of community. End quote. Do those sound like the words of someone who needs to be censored and shut down? Not at all. Absolutely not. It's the social bond that many people have that keeps them together on a narrative. Yeah. I think that, you know, listening to him, he's very concerned about the wrong narrative being out there right now. Yeah. And that people are gathering and that's where it comes from. I can't, in Google's actions in the days after that um, mass formation psychosis was mentioned on the Rogan show, tech, big tech, in my opinion, should be ashamed of themselves because I believe personally that I could imagine people working there being told through those massive meetings that they, you know, they go to every year and that they're the saviors. They're the ones who are going to correct everything. Just keep doing this. So I believe that people that are working there believe that what they're doing is absolutely 100% correct and is going to solve the world's problems. When in reality, it's, it's really just diminishing anyone that's skeptical. It's diminishing anybody questioning, which that's what scares me the most is people are not questioning what's happening anymore. The critical thinking. The critical thinking. Yeah. So, I mean, I was reading up on this because psychologists and psychiatrists who have kind of done some research this on past generations where we've where we've seen these atrocities committed by quote unquote ordinary men, they're they do adopt a belief that what they're doing is for the betterment of society. So this is going back to the other side where Sean's Sean has some validity. Not everyone's a sociopath who adopts these ideas. So there is positive intent attributed to this. So like it it's possible that a, 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 an Anthony Fauci attributes like, positive intention to all his statements and the public health recommendations that he actually believes this is for the best betterment of society. Now, part of our job today is to argue why it's not. Uh, why, why splitting people into two groups, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, it harms society. Let's talk about one delusion, Right. And I can't believe that people still believe this and repeat this, that the um, we need to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. Yeah. How does that make any sense? That's that's no longer true. And anybody who's... It like, was never true. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> no longer like it was we, true at some point? But, uh, yeah. I'm going back to what's been communicated. Along the way, there was a belief. And that belief was misguided. It was misled. It was based on inaccurate data. Now there's more data and coming there's out. There's no such have, thing as inaccurate data. Do you data. have our leaders? Well, sure there is. Do there's you no have such our thing leaders? As inaccurate data. Well, th- let's go. Data back. is data. Let's go back. How to, you how you take that information and you spin it for a purpose is what becomes inaccurate. Let's, let's go back to your your big. Um, uh, we've had we had the discussion about the vaccines already, and you said like there's a clinical trial process. It wasn't followed. So, th- but not everyone listens to our previous podcast, I, so I, we, we we repeat it. Yes, we right? do. We do. But we we don't have access to the trial data. No. Do you know why we don't have access? to the trial data because the full trial data doesn't exist that's why it's not printed on any of those inserts wrong the trial data does exist the individual data exists the pharmaceutical companies do not have to release it for like what is it 75 years no well that's being that's being tested in court they're going to the, the courts so far are basically saying 
we are going to allow the release of this sooner rather than later. So far, because, so far. Because it's uh, it, by our own government was identified as trade secrets, right? That the pharmaceutical companies do not have to release their individual trial data. So any information that you get, which my goodness, 95% efficacy, all these things yeah. were, were not accurate and they knew it, right? So it goes back to previous discussions about trials. You just, if you make them short term and you control the people that are in it, then you can control the data that that's gathered from it. But really good statisticians and those who understand methodology when it comes to, to research, they're the ones that are out are right now being able, are, are contributing to the discussion by talking about how poor methodology and, and uh, taking statistics and spinning it to, for the purpose of selling your product is easily done. And the 95% that you're talking about was actually not the true number. You have to listen. I, I can't really get into the specifics, but I would encourage people to research. There were several different types of numbers that come out of these studies. And the 95% was decided that was going to be used, but that was not the true efficacy of the vaccine to begin with. We were lied to immediately by who? Our government, our people that were up there telling us to take it. Now, again, I go back to something you said in an earlier podcast. Remember when we were talking about, because um, you had been in LA yeah. um, and the masking and all that. And mm -hmm. you had said that, well, I, I looked at it more like I was doing something for a community. Mm -hmm. um, that That's why it was a symbol. You said, I believe, I'm going to go back, no, that you right. said it was a symbol of community, of collab, uh, being a, a good citizen and helping people. No, I, I, I think, think I said it was, it was a reminder so, to people to be mindful. Okay. Yeah. It was a reminder of people yeah. to be mindful. What do we now know about masks and cloth masks? The not CDC effective. said they're not a factor and, and, and now they're wrong. And now they're going to start pushing yeah. N95, but the mask itself is a symbol. We have been lied to for two years. And by the way, an emergency, a state of emergency, in what world does a state of emergency last for several years? Mm -hmm. For several years. I do not trust our government can, entity. Can I right play now. the clip? Um, Matthias Desmond talking about before the, you get there the percentages. All right, because yeah. we're we're almost laying a like a framework here for you know the idea of passive conformity. Yeah, and how passive conformity uh, has historically and currently will harm individuals and groups. And Sean, I love you, <laughs> but my my con, you're a my good dad. You're a good <laughs> dad. <laughs> my my concern is not only you, but other members of my family is the, the passive conformity and passive conformity is this. I mean, it's just really, this has nothing to, I just trust what the authority tells me. The authority is truth. I conform. I'm part of the group. I don't have any personal responsibility. I don't believe that. I believe in a free society. We all have personal responsibility to be able to maintain the structure and the structure, you know, what it does exist is, that we have to be able to challenge the authority figures. Mm -hmm. And I was always a believer and still am a believer of the scientific process because the scientific process allows for open discussion and debate. And it's the use of empirical data and information to try to make sense of that. Agree. So can I tell a little story? Go for it. All right. And this is important because you just, you're recovering from COVID, mm -hmm. right? And you were, 
you know, vax boosted and, and, and bubble taped. And, <laughs> let's, but, let's, let's be specific. Right. I, I got, I did the two shots. I was never boosted. Um, I tried bubble tape. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got COVID worse than anyone in our family. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And I did not expect that to happen. You, you no, were, but the, you, part, the part where he says I wasn't boosted, you're going to have people that are saying, see, he wasn't boosted. Therefore, yeah, he, like that's where we're at. Prob- it was touch probably. and go for a while as he was, uh, you know, asking to go to the emergency room. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the timeline. All right. Christmas Eve, Christmas day. Uh, we all got together. And, um, and, and many of us, uh, got ill. So I didn't, you didn't, but you I'm already had it. You, you, so this, this will, this will probably tie into something else we could potentially talk about, but, um, natural immunity <laughs> versus, versus the quote unquote vaccination, yeah. so which there is was, still <laughs> not being discussed. I'm going to say I'm there spread, was, like I'm spreading misinformation. This is going to be, oh, there's be like flagged. six to eight people that got sick. Okay. Yes. So uh, I woke up Monday morning. I think I spoke to you on the phone. You could hear it in my voice. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming down with something. But um, uh, finally, this was kind of the way that I was approaching it. Like, oh, this needed to happen. Um, this is probably for the best. guess you didn't have much confidence in your vaccination if this just needed to happen. Um, no, I, and I, I, I would say that's, that's going to probably tie into, I want to play this, this clip afterwards. And, and I, I think this is important for everybody to, to recognize. You received the vaccine, which was supposed to prevent those kind of severe symptoms. Sean's a healthy guy. He's, right. You know, and you, no one can see him here, but he's, you know, thin. He's thin. He's, his diet is impeccable for the most I, I part. probably lost like eight pounds over the course of those yeah. days too. You got hit hard. Yeah. Right. Call me by surprise. And I think, and we're going to get into, obviously Sean's going to play something about really how to protect us from this. We have an entire podcast on how do you protect yourself from extremes and thinking. And you know, we're very careful not to swing to the other side of the dialect here at, on our podcast. We actually, I think, were proponents, especially at that one time, if there's data suggesting that this can, you know, provide some, you know, positive impact by development of antibodies to people who are maybe the elderly or who are, you mm-hmm. know, have comorbidities and are really in that risk range, then go ahead and do it because in a risk analysis, you know, the, the benefit the potential benefit can outweigh any risks. So I tweeted this out, and this is part of the delusion that exists right now. Medical interventions developed to help us can, can also harm us. They can help some while hurting others, even many. Individualized medicine recognizes this. If your medical professional is not acknowledging this and discussing this with you, be concerned. So the idea that there should be mass vaccinations for the entire population is antithetical to everything we know about medical interventions and human development and biology. The one solution thing always bothered me. Yeah. Like I don't understand that at all. We're one of the most not only inventive and uh, our science is amazing here. And yet there's only one solution to this. And, and one of the things that I questioned immediately was, well, if we have that many people getting COVID, why aren't we creating therapeutics that people could do at home? And why are we not? Why are we not putting on our, our using our media for the purposes of telling people that they need to get outside, they need to run or walk, they need exercise, they need vitamin D, they need sunshine. Instead, what do I still see? Yesterday, watching the playoffs, um, you know, I see New Jersey Department of Health and Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania yeah, Department of Health paid by taxpayer dollars showing children with smiles on their faces. They're all actors and actresses. And they're, and they're saying, 
to children, they're marketing it to children specifically. Yes, they are. I was so pissed. Yep. I was so pissed. I'm like, that is un. If you want to talk about but, mass formation psychosis, you're seeing it in real time. I'm so glad you brought this up um, because I was really angry watching this last night, and it was the language and the dialogue the kids. I am. I am going to protect. Yeah. My parents and grandparents. Yeah. Right. That is delusional. They do not protect from spreading the virus yes. to parents or grandparents, and this delusion is impacting the mental health of our young people. Can I do a quick story? Okay. Stories are good. Yeah. So I'm going to try to protect the privacy and confidentiality. I'll speak generally because it's not just one person, but this one happened recently. Uh, An an individual that I'm working with was both underweight, anorexia with severe depression. And so it's, you know, that comorbidity, you know, that there's an eating disorder and there's depressed mood. And it's really important, in my opinion, that when you're working with somebody who is compromised physically and also has depressed mood and suicidal thinking, that there's a form of treatment that can be targeting both concurrently. And it's really important for us that somebody who is underweight and can understand the impact on, on mood and thought processes is, is building a plan to be able to gain that weight through adequate nutrition and that we're monitoring it through frequent weigh-ins and then for a depressed person uh, the more that they're socially isolated from from people is directly correlated with increase in depressive symptoms and an increase in a risk of suicide attempts a person that i was working with got really sick for a period of time um my guess is they probably had covid even though they did one of the antigen tests and it came back negative we know that those uh there's a lot of problems with their accuracy so the person got really sick kind of got laid up for a while after the person recovered got exposed to somebody with covid and this person tested and this time they came up positive my guess is that um it wasn't from the exposure to the person who had COVID. They were recovering from COVID the first time. This person developed no symptoms, okay, but began a 10-day isolation period with no symptoms, which was against my medical, against my recommendations due to the increased risk of, of suicide, low weight, uh, and, of course, the severity of depressed mood. Mm. Um, this person tends to respond well when there's kind of personal connection and motivation. And when this person is isolated, not to mention it being over the holidays, this person is at a greater risk of of an attempt on their life. There was a previous attempt. So this was a high-risk situation. The CDC guidelines at that particular time were recommending 10-day isolation with no symptoms. We talked about this, that uh, if you don't have symptoms, you're not sick, right? There's a difference between pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic. Basically, if you are if you were exposed and developed COVID, you can spread the virus a couple days before you develop symptoms, but you do develop symptoms, um, the viral road begins to decrease. And then there's, uh, you know, if you do develop symptoms, you're sick, you can spread it. If you don't develop symptoms, you can't spread it. So CDC has since changed their recommendation on that and decreased the, the time of, um, of isolation and quarantine based on this data, although this data has been present for since the beginning. And we've been talking about this. And we're a healthcare center. And my recommendation was that you come in for, for a session and treatment. 
And this particular client called up their PCP without any context and said, I was exposed to, to COVID. How long do I have to uh, quarantine? 10 days. This person became ser- seriously depressed and lashed out at me, even used words like, you know, you're spreading misinformation, you're dangerous. And, uh, you know, it was the day that that person lashed out at me that the CDC changed their guidelines back. So, so this person would not come into treatment and lashed out at me because the guilt and fear that this individual would kill somebody. She believed if she went outside of her home and came to my center that she could, she could kill someone. If she spread them the virus, she would be responsible for it. And obviously, like when you're in a depressed state, you know, that, that fear of like harming someone else and that guilt is almost intensified. There are consequences to what our government is doing from a public health perspective, the spread of lies and how it, it creates delusional ideas or beliefs. And the only way that we're going to be able to kind of adapt and adjust to this is if we become more grounded in evidence and reality and think flexibly. I agree. Can you, uh, I'm going to ask you to send prior to all of this, prior to the pandemic, all right, when we talk about isolation, mm. and if that is one of the key components is to isolate individuals um, so that they feel as if there's no one around for them and so on. I believe, so I want you to look it up because I have the, yeah. the thing in front of me. The U.S. Surgeon General, I think under o- Obama, perhaps it was under Trump, I can't remember, basically said before the pandemic hit that there was a loneliness epidemic is that true? That is correct. Um, it is the from 2014, former Surgeon General. In England, Theresa May appointed a Minister of Loneliness. Is that true? That is true. Her name is Tracy Crouch, the world's first loneliness minister um, who is, has been assigned and came after a recommendation of, uh, I guess, an investigation. And we know that events around the world, uh, although very frightening, but there's been a lot more of late in the last 20 years. And there's also been the invention of the internet, the invention of social media, which allows people to just stay at home. Um, this idea of, of, of isolation, and isn't that the whole, it's almost as if it's like this perfect storm right now yeah. where this mass formation can actually. Let's occur. go back to the four conditions. The first one is um, a large amount of people experiencing a lack of social bonds or social connectedness. So that is the most important one. Um, be mindful, be scary, be alert to the fact if someone's telling you to remove yourself from society. There are many people right now that will go on um, you know, Facebook and social media, even Twitter. Twitter's a big one. But yet they won't leave their homes and go outside and actually have conversations. They'll, they'll talk to you and they'll attack you on Twitter or they'll attack a Facebook post. Or they'll, which I mean attack, it doesn't necessarily mean attack. It could just mean challenge or they'll put their ideas out there. When you try to talk to them face-to-face, they want nothing to do with you. Mm. Va- vaccine passports, right? So everybody has to resist this. Private businesses, community members, the individual, you have to resist any movement toward a vaccine passport. The vaccines do not protect you from developing the disease nor spreading it. Therefore, nobody who has a vaccine is safer than someone who does not have a vaccine. In fact, all available data will say those who were originally exposed 
to the alpha, the, the original virus, develop broad-based immunity, T-cell immunity, that is protective, much greater protection to the disease than uh, the mRNA and its boosters. That is indisputable worldwide science. In fact, I think I recently saw in England that those who got the, uh, the, the immunization, quote-unquote immunization, are now at a, a negative. You are increasing the likelihood that you would, could develop the new variant with greater symptoms. That is from other countries. We often have to listen to other countries because uh, the United States is, is very much controlled by the pharma industry. So when you think about individualized medicine, those who got the vaccination could have worsening symptoms. They could be more susceptible. That's all possibility to the individual. Well, remember, the data modeling came from Imperial um, College in, in London, which was then applied to the United States. I, I want to play that the clip from Matthias Desmond explaining like how mass formation um, occurs. Um, and, and I think it's a good way to conclude this for people to try and determine where they believe they are in this. I'm going to play it really uh, quick. It's only going to be about a minute. Usually, when a process of mass formation emerges in a society or in a population, only 30% of the people is really hypnotized. So that's something very important because it seems there are much more, but it's not the case. There is only 30% of the people who are really hypnotized. Uh, and, and, and then uh, uh, there is an additional 40% of the people who goes along with this first group because they never go against the current and they feel that they don't want to go against the current, that it is too difficult and too dangerous to go against uh, uh, the crowd. So, and then there is an additional 20 or 30% or something who is not hypnotized uh, uh, and who, uh, who wants to speak out, who wants to do something. Uh, uh, and, and, and so... I'm going to stop it there. So I think we know where you are, Roger, and you've been vocal about this from the beginning. Um, I'll put myself in the middle. I, I am what uh, Robert Malone called the, um, the persuadable middle. Those who have been going along with this, but have continued to read what's happening, to apply more critical thought, to not accept everything they hear to be true, to make decisions for themselves, to pull themselves out of what has occurred over the last two years. And that's the only way we get out of these is for more information, more conversations, more dialogue to hit that persuadable middle. It's going to be very hard to persuade individuals, though, when you say persuadable middle, if they are not accepting. I mean, maybe you, maybe you are. Um, but if you say persuadable middle, according to him, if 40% of individuals are afraid and they're, they're, they're already in a state of fear of going against or it's too hard to go against and be skeptical in question, we're not getting out of this. That, that's 70% of the population that is essentially believing anything that is, that is being shown to them on major media outlets uh, from their government uh, now, but which by the way, our entire society was, 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 was birthed on the fact that we were supposed to be skeptical and question government authority figures, period. For good reason. For good reason. So, Sean, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a historical bias that exists, and you don't necessarily remember by your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions how you're, you're, you're not in the persuadable middle. I know exactly how I felt during that time. 
because we, remember ideas lead to actions yep. right you did a healthy young man vaccinate yourself mm-hmm. you know it's still it, it's still considered experimental right we all know that it's uh you know it, it's an experimental vaccination that has ex- what's that called experimental um approval by the fda um, emergency authorization yeah. mm-hmm. emergency authorization um you did take that risk mm-hmm. believing certain things to be true and 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 factual uh-huh. based on what you were just being told by media and government, uh-huh. right? Now, you, by personality, you're not someone who generally questions authority to the same degree that I did. And one of the things that, one of the reasons why we had this podcast, because even before the pandemic, I was very much involved in understanding how the trial data in, in psychiatric medications, specifically antidepressants, were, uh, were fraudulent and the entire process and how it was communicated to physicians and the general public. So I was kind of primed to not trust this, mm-hmm. right? And you weren't there. But if we go back to spring of, of 2020, um, how did you think about me when I was questioning all these things? You, Not only you, but our other family members. I um, silenced the tweet. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the conversation of text messages going around because for me... I didn't want to focus my attention on that. I had my attention focused elsewhere. Um, That's, I, I found I, it, I want I, you to I talk know, about I know, but I found it I found it distracting and I found a lot of information that was being shared on both sides was not accurate. Well, you went to one side and you're, you know, when if you say there's both sides, my side was that, you know, this virus um, is going to is is dangerous to a small subset of, of people. Mm-hmm. You're not in that risk category. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a, a vaccination because of 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 the risk that it that it carries. You're going to be able to fight this off. It's not going to have an impact on you. Develop natural immunity to it. We don't know if this actually is a vaccine. Um, all the measures and all the steps and the information from masks and other public health recommendations don't make logical or reasonable sense based on these things. And whether it was you wait, wait, or the, my sister or the our, vaccine our didn't come out until like a year later. No, it was the development of the vaccine okay. and, and, and you know, the process of vaccine um, of vaccine trials mm. and uh, the lockdowns and all the from other the measures. From the get-go, though, from the get-go, even with this was under Trump. So we became, we can't forget that this is not a difference, in my opinion, of administrations. When people be very clear, and I, and I and I argue this point, they go, well, so you liked Donald Trump, you, did, you know, all that. That's mm. not true. Here's the deal. Remember, the same messaging was coming out of his administration. The only solution to this entire pandemic was going to be what? vaccines mm-hmm. i don't think that's accurate it is accurate no well no, we, that, he did no. okay he did have some no, therapeutics did, no hold on a second um at that time it was not the administration's viewpoint that lockdowns uh oh, as no. a public uh, as a public vaccines. health measure and it wasn't their viewpoint that vaccinations was the only path to getting out of the pandemic yeah, the, there, the, 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 um, there were they were they were in support of therapeutic development and investigation and that. It became a red versus blue. Well, the well, national government took the stance that they should is that it's the individual states um, to determine what is appropriate. So for it became a, we are the it, United it, States. It yeah. became a red versus blue. If you're in a blue state, it, right? It, we have a tendency be, to to migrate that way. Yep. Yes. If you were in a blue state, it was heavy 
government control. Yes. Right? On the, the rights of the individual. Lock down your business, close down your school, all these things. While if you were in a red state, you know, it was more about respecting the rights of the, the individual. For right? those and not familiar with red and blue, make, blue is Democrats here in the United States. Red is Republican. Very split, right? Yes. We're really yeah. divided. The truth of the matter, though, though, is there is a persuadable middle that exists in uh, in politics. And I think that's I, that's where I fall. I think that's generally where Sean falls. I don't like to go on to the extremes of any political spectrum. I've got problems with both. But some of the foundational aspects of what I believe in are about individual rights because history will inform us that uh, we are at risk for giving up our rights to the power and control of others. And we saw that in this country for the first time in a long time when we gave up our rights for our kids to go to school, although there wasn't any scientific evidence or data to support that that's going to protect them and others from a virus. So we gave up the rights of our kids. Uh, that What that came with was, was sports was removed and extracurricular activities. We saw a spike in mental health problems. We see a spike in deaths related to the, the secondary effect of the pandemic, which is the social isolation. All those things I was arguing vehemently against, and I got a... Uh, a negative reaction and response from from family members because they just 100% trusted what the authority was telling them to do. And the way out of this is you have to be able to investigate and make decisions for yourself and for your family in the best interest of yourself and family. But that's what they believe they were doing. So when you say that, the family members, because I have the same problem. My Some of my family, maybe not, but some people were saying things like, those who are not vaccinated should die. Maybe they should. There were these horrible things that people were saying. Friends, teachers. See, that's where, teachers that's where we've gone wrong. In yeah. New York City, way back when um, those mandates, the vaccination, vaccination mandates, we've had people, I've had teachers, I've overheard them say, "Good, it's good that they're going to lose their job. Think about how aggressive and, and honestly idiotic that is. If you're wishing ill will toward another human being or death, because you have some sort of irrational belief that a vaccine is the only solution to this, that's a mass problem for me. formation psychosis. But there's been a marketing and, and mass conditioning campaign to say that somebody who, who has that idea, the one that you just stated, is that you're the ill-informed. You don't trust science. But, but my point is with your family. You're unscientific. With your family. They believe that they're well-informed. I, listen, my family is docile and obedient, right? And, you know, Sean is sitting in front of me and there's, you know, he's, he's docile, he's, obe he's obedient, and he's passive, right? And, and so the consequences of this are you're going to be a rule follower and you're going to believe the rules are there to protect you. So you identify yourself as the persuadable middle, but to me that there are, there's a group of people who are just more docile, passive, and obedient so they're going to follow the rules. How do you justify viewing yourself as the persuadable middle when you just went along with the narrative? Um, I would say because of the transition I've gone through over the last, which is now 18 months, two years. Um, to be honest with you, during, during the period where you were sharing a lot of information with the family, you got to remember who it's coming from. It's coming from a sibling. Um, and the way that maybe it's being communicated uh, can be interpreted through a text message as as an attack that you do, you're not doing the work, you're not researching enough, you don't understand what's happening. 
So immediately, sometimes those things can, can be shut down. And to be honest with you, early on, uh, I, I wasn't focusing my attention on solutions around this thing. It was like literally thinking that it was going to be gone in two or three months. My At the time, and I've shared in a previous podcast, you know, my wife was pregnant. I wasn't really paying attention to the news. I shut it off after a while. The only information that was being, you know, bouncing back and forth was between you and, and our, our younger sister. And, um, and, I, and I really shut a lot of it out. And, and when I came and made the decision that I wanted to move back to the East Coast, that's when the vaccine came out. And I thought this thing had gone on far too long. And I did believe it was the solution. And clearly it was not. Um, and when I say the persuadable middle, I think the persuadable middle are the people um, like myself right now that are still engaged in the conversation, not accepting everything to be true. And I honestly, I think this is just a byproduct of where I am right now working with you and these conversations being thrown at me. Had I not been here, had I not been working with you, had we not been doing this podcast, I believe I would still be in that same boat of not really paying attention, not following the news, not following the data, not really following the information. I don't think I would have listened to uh, dissenting points of views that are being shared. And I don't think I've been looking at the, uh, what they're, they keep calling the waning e efficacy of the uh, vaccines. And when I say persuadable middle, I made a decision not to get that booster shot. That was me. I had um, gone along with what was communicated early on. Um, I'm not interested in a subscription to pharma where I'm going to keep getting a shot for as long as this virus is around, which it's going to be around probably for a long time. Uh, I'd much rather start building my own personal immunity by being exposed like most things in life, um, because right now that's showing uh, your best protection against the virus. So when I say persuadable middle, um, my, uh, my trust has been broken um, and critical thought was not applied early on and it's being more applied now. And I think there's a lot of people that fall into that same boat as me um, that are now saying, you know what? I, I went along with what you said the first time it's, this is still going on, and now you're telling me I need to keep doing this? No, I'm not participating anymore. I'm saying this to get a response from you. Sean. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> and I love playing this role in these discussions because, um, yeah, we have to go to extremes in order to understand things. Um, we've been talking about this a long time. I, I want to end this on a quote, um, and this is Matthias Desmond. And this is speaking specifically about mass formation, because I want to bring it back to that, because that's our topic for today. The, this is his quote. I wrote it down. Um, it was in another podcast that he was participating in. The important thing is that when people start to participate altogether in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, a new social bond, a new sense of meaning-making emerges. A new solidarity emerges. People switch from a highly aversive negative mental state to the extreme high level of connectedness, a kind of mental intoxication of connectedness, which is the real, why, re, real reason why people continue to buy into the narrative, even when it is absurd or blatantly wrong, end quote. That is what's happening here. That is why our society is broken. That is why we're arguing about these things. 
We're no longer, no longer having conversations with an open heart and an open mind and exchanging dialogue, trying to apply critical thought to everything we make. We're attacking one another. And I think that is something that needs to be solved. So you say that we no longer, as if once we did. You know, history informs us that we haven't ever. I, th- I think there's waves. I, I do. I think that we go through periods of recognizing fault, recognizing error, and we... Um, uh, what's that? The pendulum swings. I do believe the pendulum swings. I think that's a, a, a relative privileged idea of, be- <laughs> of, of being, you know, born into a, a certain socioeconomic class in the richest country in the world yeah. during a period of 1970. Yeah, but we're talking about history. 1970, 1978 through, you know, 2018. Well, same at, at that same time, you know, that we were living in a, in a, in a relatively in a privileged society in the United States, the richest country in the world, there were people suffering mm-hmm. all around the world, uh, and who were exp- what were the lay- the seeds that are being planted now in our society were you know planted in other societies at, at various other times, and you know led to you know famine and poverty and war, um, and they were going on. We just ignored it, right? We might see the we might see it on the news flashed every once in a while. But whether, you know, what it was going Serbia and Kosovo, um, you know, what was that? Uh, Yugos- the former Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. you know, and we saw this, the civil wars and we saw, you know, what was happening in, in communist China or Taiwan or other third world countries that we might have been, you know, involved with try- in trying to change those societies. They were all going on during that time. It's just we were protected from it. And we became a bit ignorant uh, of our own history, which our country is in the in the grand scheme of things historically. Obviously, we're we're still in almost like an infancy stages. What it created, obviously, was mass wealth, and uh, you know the ability to to innovate. And in a society that's completely free as ours is, there is no perfect system because there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And so the same ideas that kind of begin to percolate about what is better for society around ideas of almost everybody being the same and almost being everyone, you know, almost like this, this average and, and whether you achieve something in that society is based on some external factor. You know, those same ideas that have been percolating throughout, you know, the course of history become present for us, for us now. And they send that message and you always have to be, I think, protective against giving up your, your rights for the betterment of quote unquote, somebody, somebody else, because that somebody else uh, is often a greater entity seeking to control. Am I wrong on that? Like, is there like any dispute on that given what we know historically? No. And what we know about people. The, the, yeah. the, the, the world has been always been shaped that way. It, uh, and it, it will continue to be. That's why I don't understand quite understand how, it's such um, an absurd idea to think that people in positions of power, government entities, that somehow they may not have your best interest. That's all. That's yeah. and, and and when you bring it up and people go, "Oh, you're one of those." It's like, what does what does that mean? I'm one of those. Yeah, I, I um I, I would go back to the concern that was issued earlier about um yes, uh, you you are accurate, but easily now somebody else could jump in and try and say that. They're the solution to this problem, and you need to be mindful of that. Um, that we're at risk of another mass formation 
happening um, as a solution to the current mass formation that exists. So are we leading into our next podcast, which is to take an honest look at human nature? Yeah. And, and an honest can, look at, at people. Can we look at this mass formation though on, on, on the last two years and the, basically the, the terms that most people will now recognize? And can we just agree that there are, ne- there are groups of people that are believers in that? Let's start with masks. Do you have anti-mask and mask? We do. Do you okay? Let's go to vaccines. Do you have anti-vax and vax? We do. Let's go to the bl- the the whole blame that the commercials are using. Grandma and grandpa. Do you remember that? Do you have those that believe in that story? Absolute. And do you have those that sit there and, and say, "Wait a minute," you know, th- this could have been a story that we've done twenty years ago when I got a f- when I got the flu. Yes. Yep. Do you have remember the fatality and case rates that were immediately shown? immediately shown when when the pandemic began purposeful how do you get that immediate death rates yep Lies. there weren't even enough tests yep so we're there mass formation yep. is here it's real wake up wake up right we need to wake up listening to a podcast may be therapeutic but it is not therapy Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you are considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.